Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, July the 23rd, 2022. It is currently 1 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where you would think that what we are doing would be so very simple, right? You open up your Bible, you read a couple of verses, a name is given, Babylon. And then all you ask, you ask a simple question. Well, who is, what is this Babylon? Who is this Babylon? How do we identify this Babylon that's found there in Revelation chapter 17? That seems easy enough, right? It should be very easy. You just read Revelation 17. Maybe you have to do a cross-reference here or there. And then you're like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is the identity of Babylon as mentioned in Revelation chapter 17. You think it would be simple. You think it would be easy. But then you realize, wait a minute, I'm listening to the Theology Central podcast where nothing is ever easy. And what should be one message turns into a 20-part podcast series. Yes, I know we don't ever approach things in an easy way. And I think my voice just changed in an easy way. But we do approach, so we never approach it in an easy way, but we do approach it in hopefully an interesting way. Do you want easy or do you want interesting? I think our interesting way is beneficial because what we always try to do is we try to consider as many different perspectives as possible. Now, yes, we always have our idea. We always have what we think is right. And I will put that forth and go, here you go. This is this is our interpretation. This is what we think is right. However, we're going to go listen to lots of different perspectives. And a lot of times we listen and review and critique and analyze other sermons or other podcast that may be talking about the same subject, but we do so to challenge ourselves. And sometimes in that entire process, yes, there's a lot of a lot of winding roads with ups and downs, and sometimes we leave the road and we may crash a few times. But when it's all said and done, I think you always can go, wow, I heard a lot of different perspectives. I think I understand the different perspectives. There's some that clearly I reject. Here's the, a couple, I think. Now, you may not have any definitive answer, right? You may not have a definitive answer, but you, I think you are closer to the truth. And one of the things I've, I keep saying in this series that we are currently working on to answer such a simple question, who, what is the identity of Babylon in Revelation 17? Because we're calling this series Identifying Babylon. I think one of the things that I keep trying to say is that too many times within Christianity and too many times behind pulpits, the people in the pew, the person behind the pulpit is giving the people in the pew certainty at the expense of truth. Here, everyone, here's a simple answer. It is certain. It is certain. You've got certainty. But in many cases, certainty keeps you 18 miles from the actual truth. So what we tend to do in a lot of in, on this in this podcast and, and and during many of our series is we have a tendency to you know what we don't care about certainty we're going to pursue truth and that's going to have a lot of twists and turns and questions and doubts and struggles but when it's all said and done we may not have a definitive answer we may never reach certainty but I think we're closer to truth I know that sounds odd but I think in many ways if you want truth 
you have to almost forego and sacrifice certainty because in many cases, pursuing biblical truth, biblical interpretation, it's not always so simple. It's not always so easy. It's not so black and white. I know Christians love that. This is the way it is. And I'm like, according to you, okay, I've got 2,000 years of church history that says it's, I don't know, possibly 40 other ways. You know, like, well, no, there's got to be a right answer. No one, I, I well, at least I'm not disputing that there isn't a right answer. What I'm disputing is you always, people, Christians love to make everything so simple when sometimes it's not. Now, I know that all you can ever do at any real moment is do your best to study, figure out what you perceive to be the truth is at that time, and then preach it and teach it that way. But you always have to have the ability and willingness to go, well, hmm, all right, maybe I was wrong on that. Maybe we need to think about it. Because whatever conclusion you come to about a verse or a passage, just so you know, there's countless other interpretations out there by people who are maybe even more godly than you, who may be even more committed to the study of Scripture. And I, on one hand, that's very frustrating. Uh, I, I've never yet quite gotten around the fact that there's always so many different interpretations. That bothers me every day. But I guess the one thing I cannot, I, I think the thing that bothers me the most is how Christians don't act like that that's the reality. They all act like, nope, my interpretation is the only one and everyone else is wrong. So it started off simple. Revelation 17, I'll read the passage. Oh, it started so simple. And where we are right now in this, I, if you've been listening, you know, you know that I, I don't even have words for what we've heard so far. But Revelation chapter 17, starting in verse 1, the passage, at least we, look, put it this way, what we have, what Christians have struggled to do with this passage does not change the truth or the power of the passage. We, we struggle and we try to figure it out and we, we may do some really confused things with it, but it doesn't change the fact that Revelation 17 is the inspired word of God. All right, so here we go. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will shew, I will shew unto thee King James, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away into the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations, filthiness of her fornications. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Very simple. We set out, okay, how do we understand Babylon there? What is the correct identity of Babylon right there? Right? Is it a person? Is it a place? Is it simply an idea? And I gave you a lot of different views. Some say Babylon here is not really a city. It's not really a place. It's simply a symbol for the apostate church or apostate Christendom. All right? Not really identifying a specific 
apostate church, but just saying eh, all of Christianity or any church that is apostate would be represented by Babylon here. Others saying, no, Babylon is a city. It's an actual city, but you see, John wrote in code, so he used the name Babylon, but he didn't mean Babylon. He meant Rome. Oh, wait, he meant Jerusalem. Wait, now, just, just remember there, those are a number of views. So then we got very facetious, and I'm like, well, no, what? It, it's a city, and he used code. What he really meant is he meant Dallas, Texas, right? And I gave you all of the possible, like, we could, we could really try to make Dallas, Texas fit here. Just saying that once you, once you say Babylon is a city, but it's not that city, you can really put a lot of different cities in to make them work. And so we, we saw the problem there. We also saw, well, could it be, I don't know, actually Babylon on the Euphrates? That if we believe this to be a future thing, that Babylon will somehow rise again, the nation, the city, and that that's what it's representing. Others are like, no, 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 no. Is that an actual woman? No. What? So we looked at all the possible different views. And then I'm like, you know what we'll do? I stumbled across a podcast one morning, Real Life with Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel pastor. I'm like, wow, he, he spent a lot of time on Revelation 17. I don't even know how many episodes for his podcast. So I told everyone, go look for Real Life with Jack Hibbs. Find the podcast, subscribe to it, or even better yet, go to Google, the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, and download the Real Life with Jack Hibbs app. Real Life with Jack Hibbs, download their app, and then you can go find his entire series on Revelation and listen to it. Now, clearly what we have discovered and, and the only reason, it just happened to be one of those random mornings where I reached over to listen to something. I'm like, that's what I hit play on. And that's how this whole thing started. Um, but remember, I hit play and then like, oh, I could use this for a podcast stopped because whenever we critique, review, or analyze any audio, I don't like to listen to it first because that takes away this being like, organic and real. That feels rehearsed, like I'm doing a performance. I like this to be like real time. We're listening to it together, trying to figure out. So we started listening to Jack Kibbs on Revelation 17. He very almost right out of the gate was like, well, a lot of people get so confused by Revelation 17 and about who Babylon is. But ladies and gentlemen, it is clear. It is so clear. It is absolutely clear. That was like part one. I think we're up to now reviewing and critiquing part three. And, well, he hasn't yet to give us an answer, and it has gotten more bizarre by the second. I'll just summarize. You should go back and listen to all the parts. You just have to hear this. But somehow, you know, on one hand, this part makes sense. We ended, we ended up going back to Genesis and seeing Nimrod. Okay, that makes perfect sense. But then he... He focused on Nimrod for just a few minutes, for just a few minutes, gave some, some certain details about Nimrod. And then the next thing you know, we were spending, well, I think this is the second episode that he has spent a good, a good portion of his time talking about Semiramis. Semiramis. Do you know that name? S-E-M-I-R-A-M-I-S. Semiramis. Semiramis. Over and over and over, he keeps talking about Semiramis. Semiramis is supposedly the wife of Nimrod. And then he builds this extravagant, like, everything's about Semiramis, Semiramis. He places her in biblical text that other commentaries all over the place don't even 
Don't even think it's anywhere close to a reference to her. He doesn't explain why he's reading her into the text other than he has a presupposition he's placing upon the text. He, uh, it's just insane um, because Semiramis is not mentioned in the Bible, yet he, he's spending all of his time focusing on her to somehow identify Babylon in Revelation 17. He's going outside of the Bible to try to identify something in the Bible, but not only is he going outside of the Bible, he's going to mythology, crazy mythology, that, um, that, that is even disputed because there's so many different historical claims about Semiramis. We don't know exactly what is true, but he's like, no, no, no. These things are not only, he takes mythology and acts like it's actual history. It's not mythology. It actually happened, even though it's crazy stories. Um, I mean, there's just so many things he does here with Semiramis. It's absolutely just crazy. And then we, I, I kept saying, I know what he's doing here. He read the book, The Two Babylons that was written in like 1853. He's re- he read that book and he's taking all of this information from the two Babylons as if it's historical accu- accurate fact. And he's using that then to interpret the Bible or he's forcing an interpretation upon the text. And I, I think that's majorly problematic. Now he claims that the two Babylons, no one has ever refuted it. No one has ever been, well, and I, within three minutes of a Google search, was like, well, here's an article calling it into question. Here are two individuals who called it into question and pointed out what they believe to be historical inaccuracies, a misunderstanding of of languages, and just all kinds of issues. But he's like, no. And then he goes on to claim that the book is so frightening and so scary, and it's so hard for people to believe you can't even find it in print. Well, then I took like three seconds to do a Google search. I'm like, there it is on the on Amazon for the Kindle for 99 cents. But no, 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 no. This book is so scary that no you, nobody wants you to see it. I'm like, that. so th- there's just a lot of misrepresentations going on. But what's bizarre is it's just Revelation 17, Babylon, and then it's Semiramis, 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 Semiramis. Yeah, the, the wife of Nimrod. And, and again, it didn't even go into the fact, wait, when was she really considered the wife of Nimrod? Because there's much historical dispute. And then you almost have to go to Eusebius. And then you have to kind of jump to the two Babylon. There's lots of historical issues going on. He makes some crazy claims. And um, it's just been insane. So we stopped yesterday with about 15 minutes. To, well, not even 15 minutes. About 13 minutes probably. Um, to, to finish up reviewing this podcast episode. So I don't know how long this is going to be. I don't know how productive this is going to be, but we've got to finish this before we really can advance. Instead of trying to group them together, I'm like, you know what? Let's just finish this review today. Then tomorrow we'll pick this up and we'll see what we can do. All right. It's been a crazy, it's been crazy. I guess the only thing, I don't know what we've accomplished so far. We put it this way. We haven't identified Babylon yet. What we are realizing, though, is once again, just how the evangelical church can handle things in such just questionable way. And But still, you go download The Real Life with Jack Hibbs. You listen to everything. I, I'm clearly becoming more and more critical as we move on. I'm not saying that you should not listen to the person. I'm not saying that other things are not great. Just when you go to, to a book, that's outside of the Bible, 
that that has that book itself has been challenged, questioned, and critiqued and criticized. When you go to a book like that and you're basically like, this is the book that explains, you know, everything we need to know, and I'm gonna base a good portion of my interpretation of scripture off this book. That is that's that's just some major, major issues. And and there's lots of things that he has done here that's just been very questionable. So we're, we may re, we may repeat some of the things we said yesterday, but we're going to go as fast as we can and quickly as we can to finish this part up. And then hopefully, maybe tomorrow, we can finish at least this part of the series up. But then it looks like we're going to have to go do our own work um, on Revelation 17. So maybe this turns into... Who knows? Well, who knows how long this series will go, but we'll go. And as long as people are interested and are engaging, we'll we'll continue to work on this until we can try to find some actual biblical answers, not all the stuff that we've been hearing so far. But here we go. Let's go back and finish this review. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, it was confirmed upon her by the Babylonians. Her religious system went out into the world. It was propagated by her priesthood. I want, to, I want to commend to you the, the buying and the reading of a book that has never yet to this day been refuted. It has 271 contributing authors to it. It was written about 1853. You can hardly find it in print because it is so absolutely frightening. Now, what's absolutely frightening is your utter misrepresentation of so many factual things right there. First, there's people who have criticized and and refuted the book and offered criticisms of it. That was happening back in the 1990s when I first was introduced to the book and then go, whoa, this makes some serious claims. And then immediately found articles and different things going, no, there's problems here, there's problems here, there's problems here. And that critique, uh, critiquing of it, an an analysis of the book has continued all the way into at least, I think, the 2000s. 2010s, I think where there were some articles released, 10, maybe 2015, I'd have to go find them all. So to say that it's never been refuted, no, people have refuted it. You may disagree or not accept their critiques of it, but there's been people who have critiqued it. So that's a misrepresentation. To say it's so scary that it's, all, it's, it's out of print, it's just not true. A five-minute Google search. I think you can find it online for free in a PDF format. It's all over the place. It, the book is easy to find. It, it's the most misrepresented. It's almost like he's trying to, it's like, you know, hey, guys, this book is so scary, you can't find it. So that everyone will go find it and read it, going, oh, I better read it now because nobody wants me to read this book. It's not like some grand conspiracy to keep the book out of your hands. Uh, it's just such misrepresentation and all of that. But we already talked about that, so let's move forward. It's called The Two Babylons. The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. You read that book, you will not be able to stay awake at night because it is alive today. It is here, and it's always been. And Alexander... I read the book, and not only was I able to stay awake, I was able to go to sleep. Right? So, now... Are there some crazy things in the book? Yes, but he's just, he's just, it's, this is just like sensationalism. Like, you could, man, this book will scare you to death. You won't be able to go to sleep. I think what he meant was, you won't be able to go to sleep. You won't be able to go to sleep. You, this book is frightening, and they, they don't want you to read it. Oh my, you've got to read this. And if you read this, you'll understand everything about Babylon because this is really, Babylon is actually Semiramis. It's, it's her religious system. She's the answer to it all, she's the key. 
So the key to understanding uh, Revelation 17 is something not only not found in the Bible, but is something that is a part of mythology. And not only that, the mythology and the accounts are greatly called into question. And there's so many different contradicting uh, stories that we don't know exactly what we should hold on to. But he makes it simple because all you got to do is just buy the two Babylons and then you have the answer. Um, he goes, it bothers me that he says the book is alive today. <laughs> no, it's a book. I, I, right. The word of God is alive, not, not the book uh, to Babylons. Uh, I think probably what he was trying to say is that to, what, everything in the book of, ba- uh, of two Babylons, that what is in the book is alive today. But yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I'll put it this way. I'll try to give him the benefit of the doubt. And that's what he's trying to say. But uh, yeah, mm. but here we go. Here we go. We want, I want to finish this so bad. There's a part of me is like, what? we're wasting our time. But there's another part of me that says I'm not wasting my time. Because if he's going to put this stuff out there, someone's got to offer a critique of some of this, especially considering he went to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and just placed Semiramis into the text. And then it took just literally minutes to go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. That's not... Nimrod's wife, that's supposedly the wife of Bial. No, 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 no. That's that's not the son of Semiramis. No, this is a different deity. And But he just, everything associated with Semiramis, he's just now reading into the text of scripture. And this is the danger when you get a presupposition and you bring it into the text. So I think me offering critique here and challenging this, maybe, maybe that's what this is turning into. Instead of us just trying to figure out who Babylon is in Revelation 17, maybe it's turning into, well, when you hear certain things preached from the pulpit, you got to learn to do your own research because uh, a lot of times what's coming from the pulpit is complete inaccurate misrepresentation and reading things into a text of scripture that is taken from, I don't know, something outside of scripture. So there's a lot of, maybe there's some lessons in all of this after all. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to convince myself that I'm doing something positive. All right, here we go. Under Hislop exposed it with 270 contributing authors. And people will say, I don't believe, I don't believe his research. They can say all they want. Not one person has refuted the research of Alexander Hislop regarding the two Babylons. I mentioned that to you because if I took the time to give you the details of her priesthood, Semiramis's priesthood, you would not believe me. You would not believe it. Turn in your Bibles very quickly to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation. Okay, now this is where we got to. Now, now, you can go back and listen to the last part of our review where he went to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and then I give you the actual names of the deities that are probably being talked about there. And, and he he did some really damage here. Now he's going to go to Revelation 2. I am interested to see now, what's, is he going to put Semiramis in Revelation chapter 2? Well, we may have to do some more work on this as well. Remember, well, this is all happening in real time. So sometimes when he mentions something, I have to kind of go, all right, just hang on for a second. As we, as I look this up, what I'm supposed, what I'm trying to do is get you to look it up with me is what I'm trying to do, but we will see. We'll see. I just, every time he tells us to turn to a biblical passage, I get more and more nervous of what's getting ready to happen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 says, Jesus speaking, and to the angel of the church at Pergamos, right? These things saith he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell. Where do they dwell, church? Where Satan's throne is. 
This was in the region of Turkey during the time of Jesus. It had, it had expanded westward. It, it had come from the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley in the region of today Iraq. And this pagan worship system expanded westward until it reached the area of Turkey during the time of Christ. And Jesus in the letters of the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 says to the believers there, I know where you live. It's a tough place there in Pergamos. And it's tough and it's hard and I know. And by the way, I also know that it's the headquarters. It's where Satan sits. It's where his throne is. Why would Jesus say that? Because Semiramis was worshipped there to the extreme. It was the, are you listening? Okay, so now he's just now he's just read Semiramis into this. He just read Semiramis into this. So let's see if we can come up with some uh, answers um, about what is going on here. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Okay, let me see. I'm just doing a, a quick search. Uh, do we have an answer here? Okay. Uh, see the book, the book of Revelation in the book of Revelation, I'm reading from biblical archeology span review from June of 2006. All right. So I again, he just makes a summer Amos. He just immediately says, that's what it is. Right. And, and again, he probably took this from the book, the two Babylons. That, that's, that's what's, that's what's so frustrating about this. He's not actually doing any work on the text. He's not Okay, what do we know from the text? What can we what can we gain from the text? He's just here's the book, two Babylons. I'll just I've got a book in my hand. This book is the key to interpreting the Bible. The the two Babylons here is becoming more authoritative than the scriptures because he's just imposing everything the two Babylons says on this. Now I'm not I cannot be dogmatic that he's taking this part from the two Babylons. It's been a long time since I read the book, but he put it this way: he's imposing the Semiramis idea on text that clearly there's plenty of other biblical interpretations. You go, no, that has nothing to do with Semiramis. That has something to do with Ashtoreth or, or Ashereth or, 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 or whatever or the different names she's known by. There, there's other, other things, but he, he's just imposing it even right here. So let's just see what we can find quickly, all right? In the book of Revelation, a prophet named John experiences a vision of the risen Christ who asks him to convey a message to each of the seven Christian congregations, all right? Um, he, then they quote Revelation 2, uh, 12 through 13, and know where you dwell, where the throne of Satan is. On a symbolic level, the throne of Satan, Satan mentioned in this passage represents a power in opposition to God, a power that embodied in Roman imperial might. Throughout Revelation, a system of symbols associates Satan's Satan, depicted as a dragon, a serpent, with the Roman Empire, an emperor depicted as a beast. All right. So they're saying that this could just be symbolic of the Roman Empire. I'm not saying that that necessarily works, but okay. Um, let's see here. Do they give here anything else here? I'm reading. I'm looking. They, they go a great deal de, uh, into detail of all the different things discovered here. Talking about uh, Pergamus, right? Uh, although previous scholars 
have identified the great altar. So there was a great altar here, okay? Um, let's see here. Uh, there, was a, there was a great altar here, and uh, the, uh, the great altar, the sanctuary of Athena and the sanctuary of Zeus. Temples dedicated to Athena and Zeus had been built in the second half of the third century, uh, uh, but the whole area was expanded and the sanctuaries were remodeled in the first half of the second century BCE, before the uh, common era. In my judgment, the great altar probably served as an altar of burnt offerings for the two temples dedicated to Zeus and Athena. Although previous scholars have identified the great altar with the throne of Satan in Revelation 2.13, these scholars did not have the benefit of recent archaeological and archaeotextual research and therefore inappropriately view the altar in isolation from the temples of Zeus and Athena. All right. Um, then they go through. Uh, so let's see here. I'm reading. I'm going through here. So it looks like they think the great altar here was the, considered to be the throne of Satan. Has nothing to, to do with Semiramis. Nothing. Nothing here to do with it. Um, so they're, they're saying that this had, they go into great detail to say that the throne of Satan had to deal with Roman rule. All right. So, and you, I mean, it's a long article. It's a long article. It would take me a long time to go through it. And that's from the, uh, the biblical archaeological, a biblical Archaeological Review, 32-3, May-June 2006, Satan's Throne, Revelations from Revelation. So, I mean, that just took minutes to go, wait a minute, the Semiramis idea, where did, where did you get this idea from? Um, okay. Okay, here we go. What do we have here? Okay, then we have... Uh, some, this is uh, from ChristianWeek.org. All right, they're trying to figure out what in the world was was he talking about here. Um, okay. In this particular instance, scholars have several reasons they believe Jesus pronounced this city as Satan's throne. All right, so they believe that Satan's throne is the city of uh, Pergamos, as, as it uh, reads in the King James. And this is their reason. Um, they say Satan's, uh, one, one was that, one was that there was a literal 40-foot high altar that resembled a throne where people made sacrifices to Zeus all day, every day. The throne was on top of an 800-foot hill next to the city. Anyone traveling to the city of Pergamon, Pergamum would encounter the image and smoke from the throne miles before reaching the city. Just think of that. It was a 40-foot altar, right? Um, the throne was on top of an 800-foot hill, right? So now once you start digging into it, wait, th this has nothing to do with, with Sem Semiramis. This has nothing to do with her. But he's, he's just imposing it onto the text, and again, it just takes minutes. He's not even going, well, a lot of people believe this and this and this, and they base this off archaeological discoveries. Or they base, but I reject all of that. It's Semiramis. And how do I know? Well, because he read the book called Two Babylons. <laughs> that's, that's, okay. So if I just find a book somewhere and they tell me, 
in the beginning, God. No, it doesn't actually say that. It says in the beginning was nothing. Do I change my interpretation of Genesis because I've got a book somewhere that says uh, that's like, this, this really calls into question everything. But let's continue with what his view is here. It was the central Roman outpost of emperor worship. And you say, so what? My friend, emperor worship. They called the emperor of Rome before there was ever a Catholic church or a Protestant church of what the ways that we would know it and that there's the denominations of this and the denominations of that before the Reformation period. They called the emperor of Rome, Caesar. Did any of you see Gladiator the movie? What was his face? Commodus, his son? And what was the, what was the emperor at the time? I forget his name. I should know his name. Whatever emperor you think about, we use the word emperor. You know what? His original title in Latin is Pontifus Maximus, the emperor of the Roman Empire. I did not make that up. That is, a, that is world history. The emperor of the Roman Empire, Julius Caesar to Augustus Caesar to Tiberius to Domitian, to, you go on. Their official title was Pontifus Maximus. Okay. <laughs> okay. Pontifus Maximus. I, I, I'm trying to see where he's going here. Uh, what, okay. Uh I'm going to see here. Let's see, that's Pontifex. Pont Pontifus. I'm getting Pontif Pontifex, which means Supreme Pontiff was the chief high priest of the College of Pontiffs in ancient Rome. That's Pontifex. How come that's the only thing showing up here? Okay, hang on. I mean, I'm, I'm reading here. So with the Pontifex, that's P-O-N-T-I-F-E-X Maximus, was the chief high priest. All right, let's see here. I'm trying to... I don't know where exactly he's going here. All right. We may have to do a little bit more work on this. We may have to do a little bit more work on where he's. I'm just a little perplexed now because it was Semiramis, Semiramis, Semiramis. Hey, did you know that the Roman emperors were called Pontifus Maximus? Oh, did you, can you believe that? Well, wait, I thought we were talking about Semiramis. So uh, now he's going to have to tie Pontifus Maximus to Semiramis, right? Is, is, that, is that where I'm going? Is, is that, all right, um, let's see. The priest, the high priest, by the way, it's the only high priest of heaven, the emperor of the Rome. That's why the Roman Empire, listen, it's going to click. Wait, Pontifex, Ponti, Ponti, Pontifex, Pontifex, Pontifus. It's P-O-N-T-I-F-E-X. That's the priest. That's the chief high priest. 
is it pronounced? Is it pronounced Pontifus? Okay, hang on. I just got to make sure I'm not losing my mind here. Okay, all right. Let's let's do something. I'm gonna we're, we're gonna we're we're doing this in real time. Okay, it is pronounced Pontifex. 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 Is he saying Pontifex or Pontifus? It, it, Am I, am I missing something here? Okay, I'm going to go back just a little ways. All right, here we go. The priest, the high priest, by the way, it's the only high priest of heaven, the emperor of the Rome. That's why the Roman Empire, listen, it's going to click. Okay, hang on. I'm going to back up a little. I'm going to back this up again. All right, it's going to click. Right, right now, nothing's clicking other than I'm very, very, very confused. All right, let's listen again. That is, a, that is world history. The emperor of the Roman Empire, Julius Caesar, to Augustus Caesar, to Tiberius, to Domitian, to... You go on. Their official title was Pontifus Mac. He's saying Pontifus. The high priest, though, the chief high priest, was Pontifex. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't know what he... he because he was like the emperors, but then he talks about the priests. Pontifex Maximus was the chief high priest. Pontifus Maximus, I haven't found that the phrase yet. I'd have to keep searching. Uh, is he confusing two concepts or am I, am I, and, and the, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, Ooh, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I, now I've got to question everything he says because he's had, he's made so many absolute, just massive issues. I've got to call into question everything. And, and and he he keeps being like it's just history. Everyone knows this. Well, w- w- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Pontifex was the chief high priest. Now, if you're going to say there's a term Pontifus Maximus, then I, I I would have to find that. I don't have time right now to look it. I'm going to keep looking it up, and we'll see. We'll we'll come back and add to this. Right now, I'm still trying to figure out Simeramus. What, what, that was the key. That's what everything. That's what you've been talking about now this whole time. But he says it's about to click. It's all going to come together. All right. So let's see how is this all about to come together. It, it's got to be close here. He's he's going to make it all work, and it's all going to make sense. Still don't know what this has anything to do with Revelation 17, but he's going to make it all click. So maybe right now it's I'm going to be like, okay, now I understand. Okay, now now my previous criticisms would still stand, but maybe my confusion here, he's about to clean it all up. Here we go. Maximus, the priest, the high priest, by the way, it's the only high priest of heaven, the emperor of the Rome. That's why the Roman Empire, listen, it's going to click. That's why the Roman Empire was worshipped as a, the answer is God, people. They were worshipped as gods, the emperors. And that if you, when see, when Christianity came along, there was a real problem. Because you either fell on your knees and declared Jesus is Lord, or you would fall on your knees and declare what? Caesar is Lord. And the... How did we get from Semiramis to Caesar and emperor worship. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so, and how do we get from Pontifus, the emperor? Now, the emperor is the chief high priest, but you just look it up. The chief high priest is Pontifex. That's the, I mean, that, that's the actual, is he, I, I, 
Now, I look, I say things wrong all the time. I say things all wrong all the time. I do. So, so by no means am I acting like I'm the one to be able to criticize. I mispronounce things all the time. So is this just a simple X? The only reason I'm confused is he's like, now, if you look up Pontifex, that, in fact, I'm, I'm going to look at this. Pontifex Maximus, I'm just going to go back. Pontifex Maximus, well, here we go. The Pontifex, the Pontifex Maximus, it's Latin for Supreme Pontiff, was the chief high priest of the College of Pontiffs in ancient Rome. This was the most important position in the ancient Roman religion. It doesn't say that this was the emperor. I, I maybe does it become? Does it become? I am so confused here. Because he's trying to tell you every emperor was Pontifex Maximus, that every emperor was the chief high priest. It's seemingly to be what he's claiming. I think there's some I think there's some confusion here. And I'm really, and look, it's not my it's not my job to try to fig, figure it out. It's his job since he's the one supposedly presenting this. But what I'm so confused by, where was the transition? Okay, we've been looking at Semiramis, and Semiramis did all of this. Now we transition into another period of history where Semiramis gets set aside and then the emperors who become the priest replace her and then I guess she's going to come back. Like the, I'm, I'm trying to follow the narrative. It just seems like we just, we just left Semiramis with no question. Maybe he's going to bring it all back together. Again, I got to give him the opportunity to do that. Babylonian cult from ancient Babylon married itself into the Roman Empire. That's key in the age and the time in which you and I... Okay, so Semiramis married itself into the Roman Empire. Now, he hasn't done... He's done absolutely nothing to demonstrate that. He's done absolutely nothing to prove that. He's not done... He's just making an assertion at this point. I don't know how you go like, well, there's Semiramis. Boom! Pontifus Maximus. See? 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 What? See? See? What? It's... Pontifex Maximus, that's the high priest. Are you saying that came from Babylon? Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where. Yeah, I, we would have to do a lot of, of a lot of reading there, a lot of reading. I just don't know where he's seeing the he's seeing some connection that he's not demonstrated. That that's I guess that's how I can say it. I live in in the 21st century. In the next few weeks, you will be shocked to see how alive and well the Babylonian cult is, and how important it is that Europe is rising in extreme power and might at this very moment. It must happen. And it is. I just got back the other day. The advance of it's incredible in one year. Amazing. More on that in the next few weeks. Oh, I'm out of time. Here's my point about Jesus mentioning this to the church at Pergamos. Now, before I say this, some of you have just, you've gone on in your life and you've been never, you've never been told this and you'll never be told this uh, unless you study your Bible and study world history and you just, you're, you're going to be kind of upset in a moment. I understand that, but Please, please listen. In fact, if you want to get upset with me, it's okay. 
but will you run out of the building after I'm done and do some research all this week, please, will you? The ancient Babylonian. Oh, I'm glad you want people to do research. I'm, I'm glad. And hopefully people will do more than just, I don't know, read two Babylons because we've been doing research as we've been listening to you. And so far, We've almost called into question every single word you've said, okay? But, so I do hope the people in his church did go out and do some actual research. I hope so. I am glad that he told people to do that. Let's see what, I think I know what's getting ready to be said here. I I, I can almost predict it, but we will, should I predict it? I, we'll just, we'll just see. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll try to be honest with you and tell you if I'm right. I know I could just lie and tell you, see, I was right, but we'll, we'll just We'll just do this. Let's listen. I I hesitate because you're not going to get it. The ancient Babylonians, when they worshipped Semiramis as the high priestess of heaven and hell, remember how she got her son out? Anybody remember? She prayed him out. Do you know why Jesus wrote the letter to Satan's seat? The, the, The official Roman city name was Pergamum, Pergamos. Because it's the root to Perga, Tori, Perga. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, man. Okay, okay, all right, all right. Okay. <laughs> okay, hang on. <laughs> wow, we, we got, we got, uh, we got a lot to work on here. Okay, we got a lot to work on here. All right. Um, okay. So Pergamon, 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 uh, Pergamus. See here, I'm looking here. Do we have, okay, let's do, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put Pergamon, Pergamon. It's P-E-R-G-A-M-O-N. So Pergamon. I'm going to take this and I'm going to come here. I'm going to put Pergamon and Purgatory. All right. Okay. Uh, Let's see here. Um, Okay. I'm trying to figure here where supposedly the uh i'm i'm trying to figure out where these these ideas arise from okay <laughs> oh i know this is this is coming from two babylons is where he's getting all of this is where he's getting all of this okay uh i'm i know let's do this origin okay origin of the term, not the concept, the term purgatory. Okay. Okay. The, uh, here we go. Purgatory, um, comes from a Latin verb meaning to cleanse, to purge, shares the same root. And Roman Catholic doctrine souls atone for past sins and purgatory before entering heaven. In fact, for centuries, purgatory was often regarded as, as an actual physical place, all right? So it just, do they give us any other, how do, How did he, let's go here. 
okay, purgatory. Okay, see here. Uh, just means, I'm trying to figure out where it's supposedly derived from. Let's see. It's, uh, I'm looking here from the old, uh, from the old French purgatore, uh, purgatori, uh, medieval Latin, purgatorium, all right? Okay, maybe. Uh, it's, it seems that it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to see where he, he gets this supposed correlation. Now, I can find some conspiratorial websites that will go, though, but they're borrowing from two Babylons. Um, okay, all right. But so, Semiramis, Pergamum, Pergamon, right? Pergamus, the seat of Satan, which is really the seat of Semiramis, Roman emperors or Pontifex Maximus who became priest. I'm trying to, I need one of those, you know, you ever see uh, on, in a movie when you have someone who's like, you know, living in a basement with uh, trying to draw a map of some conspiracy, some conspiracies and they got all the little pictures with a thread going from one to another. That's what I feel like we need to do right now to try to connect this. It's just, I, so Semiramis led to the doctrine of purg purgatory. I guess that's, is that the claim? That purgatory, the doctrine of purgatory actually goes back to Semiramis. Is that the claim? Mom, Pergamus, Catholics didn't invent purgatory. The popes didn't invent purgatory. Did you know purgatory was in, in power in the minds of men and women since Babylon? It's nothing new. And that's why Jesus writes the letter to the church that is at Pergamum. And he says to them, I know where you live. You live in that headquartered worship center. By the way, the temple of Zeus was there. I wish we had Im images. Oh, it's on. Okay, now, so now he, now he mentions the temple of Zeus. Now, now you already said that it was uh, Semiramis. Now, now, yeah, now you're going to acknowledge the altar of Zeus was there, which is why a lot of people would point to that's, that's the seat of Satan because of its size. It's on that 800 foot hill and smoke would rise from it. All, but I see, is he just going to, well, oh, by the way, this other thing was there, but Semiramis is what it was all, was all about. And it's time to go now. Bobby, look, I got your pointer. Thanks very much. Can you guys see that from the back row? You guys look at this. See this? There, there, there. Thank you very much. Look at this. This is in Berlin. See that? Pergam? Pergamum? Museum. Why is it in Berlin? Because the Germans stole it from Turkey. Next slide if you got one. I don't know. Uh, okay, I'm standing here taking a picture. Do you get an idea of the scale? The size? You see this right here? This image, this is the Temple of Zeus, the Temple of Zeus. There are, there, are, there are replicas of it around the world in small scale. You can buy them and put them on the dashboard of your car. This is the big deal. This is it. This right here, this image right here, that's 15 feet tall. 
You can go online to the Pergamum Museum and it'll take you to Berlin where they have it and and it's being assembled. Much of it is already assembled. You can walk up the steps. Jesus said to the believers at Pergamum, don't be discouraged. I know Satan dwells where you live. His throne is there. You saw a portion of the corner of that throne. It was referred to as the throne of Satan by the Jews and the early Christians. It is known in history by the temple of Zeus. Okay, that's what we already said. You're the one who said that's Semiramis. You, you, man. Okay, all right. Maybe he's going to explain. The temple of Zeus is Babylonian worship connected to Semiramis, whose son, Tammuz, was also worshipped. And in some cultures... So you're... So... Semiramis was the origin, and the temple of Zeus is the 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 evolution of. Uh, he's not done anything to show an actual straight line or any correlation or any connection. He's making assertions with no documentation at all, other than the book, the two Babylons. That seems to where he's taken. It sounds like, hey, I've read the book, The Two Babylons, and I'm going to preach a sermon on the book, Two Babylons, but I'm going to claim that it's an exposition of Revelation 17. That, that's what I, and I'm going to just impose everything The Two Babylons says on the biblical text. So anywhere I see Queen of Heaven, that's Semiramis. Anytime I see Tammuz, that's, that's her son that was resurrected from the dead. Okay. Oh, any, I see Satan's throne, that's Semiramis, which was actually the throne of Zeus, but that was connected to Semiramis. It's just, it's just imposing all of this upon the biblical text. Worshipped as the moon god. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press this just a few more moments. I've got officially one and a half minutes left. So listen carefully. In Assyria, in the Assyrian Empire, you're going to want to write this down. In the Assyria, not Syria, not in Damascus of today, but in Damascus of ancient millennia. Assyria. That's spread, by the way, all the way over to southern Russia today. Ancient Assyria. In Assyria... Semiramis and Tammuz was worshipped this uh, by these names Ishtar and Tammuz. So he now just said Ishtar and Tammuz was actually Semiramis. <laughs> so so Semiramis ev- everything is Semiramis everything. Everything is Semiramis. Everything. Everything is Semiramis. So that, that's, that's the answer to every. What is everything? Semiramis. What is everything? Semiramis. Everything is Semiramis. And her son. Tar and Tammuz. In the Phoenician culture, they were worshipped as Astarte and Baal. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Now you see how old back this goes. And there's all these little spin-off deities. For example, the god of Islam, which they don't know his name. You know, Allah is Arabic for God. Aren't you glad you know your, your Lord's name? God is who is his title. Um, Allah, that uh, Islam does not know the name of their god. 
So they call him Allah, which is Arabic for God. What's interesting is that if you trace the history of Islam, they worship the most powerful God, the the God that became great over the 300 plus gods of that part of the world. And he happened to have been the moon God. And that's who they worship. And that's why on every mosque there is what, a cross? No? Is there a star, David? Uh, what is, what's on there? Crescent moon. Baal. Tammuz was worshipped as Baal. In Egypt. So Tammuz was Baal. But, I, but if, so Tammuz was Baal, but I thought Ashereth, Ashereth was the wife of, wait, hang on. I, I, now I'm getting all confused here, man. This is some. This is a train wreck of epic, 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 epic proportions. All right. So if I remember correctly, all right. So Ishtar, or Ashtoreth, um, was thought to be the wife of the false god Baal. Now, if Tammuz was Baal, okay, but su- supposedly was actually Tammuz, which is actually the son. Of Samara, uh, of I'm trying to follow this. Of was actually Semiramis. So Tammuz was the son of Semiramis, but Tammuz becomes Beal, and Semiramis becomes the wife of Beal. Yeah, yeah. He's not even explaining. Well, wait a minute. So you're saying this god became these gods, but if those gods became these gods, then why is the relationship between the two completely different? Mother to child, now wife. To husband, like how, like they just took the concept and and how what what are you basing this off of? And if you read any ar- articles in regards to, uh, let's say Ashtoreth, uh, Ish- Ishtar, um, Ashtoreth, all the different names, uh, the Queen of Heaven most likely is being referred to in Jeremiah seven eighteen. None of these articles trace them back in any way, shape, or form to uh, Semiramis in no way, in shape or form. This is just, wow. And and again, he's supposedly preaching on Revelation 17 and we've now, uh, there was almost two parts and we've not even been in Revelation 17. He's not even exegeted one thing in it. He's been chasing some conspiracy theory. And I, I, I hate to say that, but that's what it feels like with no, and he's just asserting connections and just asserting things. And basically this is the way it is. Semiramis, that basically that's the original and everything else in the Bible, most likely it's referring to Semiramis. Semiramis is the actual name. Everything else is Semiramis. Everything, everything, everything is Semiramis. Everything. I guess even Muslims, well, they worship, I guess, her son, Tammuz, I guess, who becomes the moon god, Bial, what, all the different ways that, they, I mean, I would, you talk about needing a chart. We need a chart just to try to map this out, just to see all of these just absolute claims with just so little, oh, so major problems. They were worshipped. She was, Semiramis was called Isis or Isis. And he was called, in Egypt, Horus. Horus. In Greece, in the Grecian culture, they were worshipped this way. Semiramis' name in the Grecian Empire was Aphrodite. Her son's name was Eros. 
erotica, sex, fleshly sex. In the Roman Empire, even to this day, by the way, Simiramis, ask a Roman, ask an Italian in, in Italy, or maybe even here, who studied Italian history, and uh, in Italian or the Roman history of the Italians, I mean, so just everything is Semiramis, everything, everything. I mean, literally, this is crazy. And remember, he says that Islam doesn't know the name of their God. I'm having a major issue with what he meant by that, because I'm looking here, the names of God in Islam, right? And I, I'm not going to even try to pronounce some of these Arabic names, but I don't know where you're getting, I don't know where you're getting that. I, I, and I've got, I don't know how many here. Oh, I see. I may be able to play some of these for you. Um, let's see here. There's a lot of them here. Um, okay, now I have to download the audio. So, but I can, I, there's how many here? N- uh, 99. There's 99. And this is uh, from uh, something called the Names of God in Islam. All right. Uh, our, uh, it says... These names attributed to God in Islam by Muslims, while some names are only in the Quran and others are only in the Hadith, these are some names which appear in both. So I don't know where he got the idea. I don't know the name of their God. I, I, I mean, there's so many claims he's making that every, like literally every second we'd have to stop and go, look this up, stop, look this up, stop, look this up. It's just, I, I don't even know what to do when something has got this many problems and... Uh, and, and, and just, he's just literally, everything is Semiramis. Everything is Semiramis. He, he's just, his assertion is Semiramis, that's, everything goes back to her. And, and she was his, a historically real person who historically, all of those, those mythologies about her were actual history. They actually happened. It was just some demonic supernatural events. And she, everything else, they were just taking they, they were just coming up with new names for Semiramis. That's all they were doing. It was just the evolution of Semiramis worship. I, that ev- everything can be answered by that. Name, I think you might recognize her name. Her name's Venus. Semiramis goes by the name of Venus. And she has a son. Uh, and according to artistry, she, he looks kind of goofy to me. He's kind of a little bubble-butted, stubby-winged, a thing, but his name's Cupid. Tammuz is called Cupid. Remember when she lamented for how many days? 40 days. The Babylonians called that Lent, the lamentation of, Ta- of Semiramis for her son. Ishtar. Her name is Ishtar. In some of these cultures, it has made it quite successfully into our current age. It's called Easter. See, well, you're crazy. No, you won't believe me when I tell you this, but I'm telling you the truth. Go look it up. It's innocent to us now, but when Tammuz rose from the dead, after the 40 days of Lent, they worshiped in grotesque drunkery. Oh, man. There's so much, like if you just look up the origins of Venus, any, any article, you won't see it. It was Semiramis. It was, you don't see that anywhere. You don't see that anywhere. And again, he keeps speaking of Tammuz raising from the dead as, as if it actually happened. 
He doesn't seem to address any of it as actual mythology. And he continues to conveniently leave out the fact there's so many different contradicting accounts and stories. He just leaves it all out. And Semiramis is everyone. I mean, everything he mentions, like, it's Venus. You start looking up the origins of Venus. And you're like, well, don't see Semiramis uh, mentioned here. You, you just keep you keep looking like, where, where, where is supposedly Semiramis? Where, 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 where? It's nowhere. Okay. Where's the connection? Where's the correlation? It's just assumed. It's just there. And partying and idolatries and, and, and orgies of the like, they indulge themselves to such an extent in celebration that the culmination of the celebration after Lent, after the morning, they put precious ornaments or valuable items upon an egg, which in the Babylonian culture has always uh, represented fertility. And you selected someone to present an egg to. And if they took that egg from you, you would then engage in all sorts of every imaginable sexual type of worship unto these various gods. The Easter egg... Ashtar egg. I told you that this is so clear and so fantastic that it's hard to believe. Oh, it's so clear. It's so clear that Ishtar and Venus and everything else in the world is actually Semiramis. It's so clear just because you've just asserted it. You've done nothing to prove it in any way, shape or form. You've not cited one historical source. You've only pointed us to a book that others have called into question its historical accuracy. You've ignored the fact that even other Christian publications are like, hey, this whole Semiramis thing, we got to be careful with it because there's lots of contradicting information. It's all mythology. We can't draw any definitive conclusion. But no, no, he's not only gone past caution, he's gone to dogma. And I... I, I don't even know what to do with all of this. Now, if you want to talk about Ishtar, you want to talk about some of the, the, I mean, and then again, he just immediately assumes Lent comes from the lamentation of Semiramis and saying, well, wait a minute, maybe they focused on the fact that Jesus spent 40 days. Maybe, I, again, I want to make sure you understand this. You see how he's taking Semiramis and Tammuz and his resurrection and applying that to every god that came after? Every god is really Semiramis. Every god is her son, Tammuz. Everything, everything that came after them, they were simply copies. I want to make sure you hear this. This is very important. That's the exact same claim that is made by many agnostics and atheists that Christianity is nothing more than a copy of whoever you want to go back to, Semiramis, uh, you can, any of those gods, any of those pagan gods, any of those mythologies. Like Christianity was just a different version of those same gods. You have a mother, you have a, a supernatural conception and birth, and then the child dies and the child is resurrected. There was an, there's been entire documentaries trying to prove that fact. He comes along and is like, see, all the other gods come from this. All, see their stories? See how their stories are so similar to this? See how they're, well, see how similar the story of Jesus is to this? 
The same argument could be made. He's not even realizing that in one sense, he's making a logical argument to call into question even the truth of Jesus. And especially in his case, because he seems to say that the supernatural conception, birth, death, and resurrection of Tammuz with, by Semiramis was actually historical fact, which is even more problematic. <laughs> so... So maybe we, I mean, like, should we be worshiping Semiramis and Tammuz? Is that what, is that what we should be doing? Is, is Christianity just a copy of that? Does similarity mean correlation or connection or copy? I mean, he, in some ways, he, 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 this, his same argument can be used against Christianity. We haven't even gotten into our verse-by-verse teaching of this yet. The background of this is so important. That's why John knew it all when he was seeing it, and he marveled. And the angel said, what are you marveling for? Next week, we will see how this ties in to the worship systems of the world. And if we are freed from this Babylonianism of the worship of the Queen of Heaven... And her child, Tammuz. Father, we ask you. There you have it. Wow. You can look up all of the claims that were made in all of this. I did my best to try to react to it in real time, which always makes it difficult because I can't just sit here in dead air going, hey, give me 15 minutes as I do. But I wanted you to see just how quickly, just easily, just like, hey, Muslims don't know the name of their God. And you, immediately I pull up 99 different Arabic names for God found in the Quran or the Hadith. I mean, I mean it only took me like three seconds to look that up. Wait a minute. This God is, is actually Semiramis. And you look up, you know, scholarly articles. Hey, the throne of Satan was actually something to do with Semiramis. And you look it up I'm like, no, it's probably Athena. But, but the way he looks is everything. Zeus, Athena, Ashtoreth, Ishtar, everything is Semiramis. So why wouldn't he just make the claim? Listen, here we're going to make this simple. Semiramis, every other goddess, every other priestess, even the Roman emperor, everything is really nothing more than Semiramis. And you, I'm just, you're going to have to just take my word for it because all the things that he did there, he didn't prove anything. He just kept making assertion after assertion after assertion without ever giving me any source to even look up or consider, not other than the two Babylons. So really he read the book, the two Babylons and said, oh, Semiramis and Tammuz is, everything is that. And so now I'll just say everything is that. And then that, will be the identity, ultimately, of Babylon in Revelation 17. It's simply Semiramis. There we go. That, that's how he, I guess, is going to fix the problem. What a crazy situation. You can let me know your thoughts about all of this. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Clearly, more research needs to be done. Clearly, there are a lot of questions that need to be answered, and we'll just kind of see what we do next. Because honestly, I don't know. Do we continue to review some of these? I don't know. At this point, I think we already know his. his I think we already know his point of view. Everything is Semiramis, right? So basically, Revelation seventeen is just Babylonianism. It's just an. It's just the ism of Babylonian 
worship, which is basically Semiramis worship and her son. So, and but but if you don't know how basically the two Babylons would argue, is it basically it's the Roman Catholic Church is where typically it's used to argue. But that's a whole different story. He may not want to say that because that would probably, you know, really, I mean, he wanted to, you feel, you can feel them, you know, hey, that's where purgatory came from. Again, he's, he just, he didn't even really show language wise. That's where the origins of it comes from. But okay. Um, yeah. Just, I don't know. I don't know what we'll do next. You can give me your thoughts. News, if at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.